morning. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. It is great to have all you here. Uh, we, are, as Bobby said, we're looking at a series of questions, and I think this is one of the kind of more, uh, this is the, the uh, more almost combative question. I hope my sermon isn't that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then we'll jump in. Let's pray. Father God, as we uh, look at this question of whether Christianity is irrational, we pray that you would, uh, you would make it clear to all of us that you are the God who values thought. You are the, value e- who, uh, you are the God who is very rational. And for those of us who have got this doubt or similar doubts, I pray that we at the very least would be able to start a journey where we, we are able to explore that you are a God who is very rational, that we don't need to park our brains at the door when coming to church. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, at my previous church, Resolved in Newtown, we had a number of uh, events where we tried to reach out to people. And some of these events uh, garnered the interest of the Sydney Atheist Society or the Sydney Atheist Groups. And uh, we had one uh, early on in our, back, back in 2009, where we showed a documentary called Collision. And it was a documentary about Doug, Douglas Wilson, a pastor, and uh, uh, Christopher Hitchens, the noted atheist, going around and giving uh, debates, having debates. And we had a bunch of atheists there. And a few years later, we had another event about can we uh, trust the Bible when it comes to Jesus at a pub. And once again, we had a bunch of atheists there. And generally, most of them were really great. It was really great to hang out and, uh, and they were a lot of fun. But there was a few of them that had this snark about them. And what was really interesting, you got the vibe from them that they thought if you believed the Bible or if you believed in God or you're religious in any way, you were dumb. There was obviously some part of your brain that was missing or something like that. Just the way they talked down and the way they would go ask the question with this kind of snide thing. And if you have a look at a lot of uh, even comedians, I love stand-up comedy, but it's interesting how many stand-up comedians will talk about the stupidity of Christianity. I remember watching a a particular show one time. It was about upcoming comedians. There was about eight of them. It was kind of like, you know, the American Idol of of comedians. And one guy guy talked about a... um, you know, he said that, uh, how Christians always quote from the Bible. And he goes, why can't I quote from my favorite book, Harry Potter? And he goes, because one, one is the story of this, this little boy who grows up to save the, uh, uh, the world, and the other one's a myth, and the Bible's a myth. And it was meant to be funny and that kind of thing. It wasn't really funny. Um, but, but it's this whole thing of, well, the Bible's a myth. Everything to do with Christianity is a myth. And of course, if you are a Christian, you, you can't switch your brain on be a Christian. And, and in fact, uh, here's some of the responses when we ask you guys to go out to your friends and we ask you guys to ask if you could ask God one question. This is what some people said. There are so many unbelievable things in the Bible. Why should I believe it? Very good question, isn't it? 
The Bible talks about many people actually being raised from the dead. It talks about you know, rivers or seas being parted. It, it talks about water turning into wine. Very good question. And then he said, why are more educated people less likely to follow God? Great question. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's statistically true. But, but the implication is you know, Christianity is not as rational as science or something like that. But is that true? Do you really have to switch your brain off to be a Christian? To come to church, do you have to park your brain at the door? Or can you be fully engaged and be a high-level thinker, even a critical thinker, and still be a Christian? See, some of you guys may not think, oh, well, you have to park your brain at the door to be a Christian. But you don't want to actually be part of a religion where everyone else thinks you're silly, do you? I can still remember uh, a friend of mine, her husband had become a Christian and he was going to a family barbecue and she said it was two hours of, oh, you're a Christian, oh, you believe this, you're really silly. And the funny thing is, this wasn't a really educated family. No one in, in the family had you know, more than a, a HSC, right? And it was very interesting, even though they weren't highly educated or secondary educated or whatever, that they still looked down on their silly brother, cousin, or whatever it was, because he had become a Christian. So actually, can you be a rational, deep-thinking person and be a Christian? We're going to explore that. We're going to see three things. The first thing is we're going to look at the problems with the propositions, uh, the pro- proposition that uh, you know, all, all Christians are dumb or there's no smart Christians or whatever. And, and then the other proposition that we're going to look at is you have to, um, I guess, you have to switch your brain off to be a Christian or belief is irrational. The, the second thing we're going to look at is we're going to look at the problem with Jesus and finally the problem that we all must face. The problems with the proposition, the problem with Jesus and the problem we all must face. So let's have a look at the problem, problem with the propositions. The, one of the propositions that, that kind of people say when we're talking about this is it seems like all educated people decide against following Jesus. And, and can I just say I don't think that's true. Even if you look around our church, there are highly intelligent people at this church. There are world-leading doctors in this room. There are lawyers. There are very smart business people. There are many people in this room that are very, very smart and have got the degrees to back it up. But then if we have a look and we kind of you know, have a look at our world or look at our history, you see actually Christians, very, very smart Christians, like leaders in the thinking in their fields were Christians. Isaac Newton, one of the most important, if not the most important scientist ever, was a Christian. He, he actually devoted his work, when you, you know in the acknowledgement section of the books, he actually all devoted it to God. He thought that you read the Bible, you read science, it's like a different way of knowing God's mind. Francis Collins directed the National Human Genome Research Institute for 15 years and is a Bible-believing Christian. Alvin Plantinga, the O'Brien Professor of Philosophy at the University of Notre Dame, one of the most le- the leading philosophers of our day, is a Christian. Richard Swinburne, another leading English philosopher at 
the University of Oxford, is a Bible-believing Christian. Condoleezza Rice, who was the uh, Secretary of State and the National Security Advisor under George W. Bush Jr., is an evangelical Christian. See, I could go on and I could say, hey, there are so many very, very smart Christians who go, I believe this book, the Bible. I believe it. And they are very, very smart. And so are there only, do all intelligent people reject Jesus? No, a lot of very, very smart people actually accept Jesus. But then there's the, the, but even if only stupid people believe in Jesus, which we've proven is not the truth, that doesn't really matter. See, if someone comes up to me and says, hey, Hans, um, only stupid people believe in Christianity and that's why I'm not a Christian. I would go, your logic is absolutely wrong because they're employing something called the genetic fallacy. It's this idea that I can point out that an idea is wrong or a belief is wrong based on who it comes from. Right? So if I meet someone and I say, you know, they believe in something I don't like, all I have to say is, well, of course I don't believe that because this person's dumb. Right? But how smart the person who believes something doesn't actually impact the rightness or wrongness of their belief. We all know really, really not smart people who believe the right things, right? But we also, I dare say you're like me, you know some people who are you know, really, really smart and guess what? They believe some really silly things. You, you, you see, it doesn't matter how smart someone is, whether, the, the person, you know, whether their belief is right or wrong, it's whether their belief actually accords with reality. That's the most important thing. But here's the other proposition or, or the, the other idea that faith is irrational. And I want to say, for, for a lot of people it is. For, you, you know, for a lot of people, they just believe because they believe and they haven't put much thought into it. But also, what you've got to realise is that people who are studying the way we believe basically say 99% of the time we come to our beliefs not rationally. So we come to believe, believe certain things because we want to be liked or because we heard about an idea at a really important part of our lives or something like this. And even atheism is irrational. Have a listen to this. And I know I quoted this a couple of weeks ago. I, I apologize. But this is Thomas Nagel. He's a philosopher, very smart man, but he's also an atheist. Have a listen to what he says. I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I believe I'm right. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want a universe to be like that. Do, do you hear what he's saying? I don't want there to be a God. I don't want a universe like that. That is an irrational belief. Now, uh, Thomas Nagel has got uh, arguments to back up his atheism, but at the core of it, it is irrational, first and foremost. 
And anyway, as I said before, no belief is truly rational. Peter Ditto, who is a PhD, he, he's a, psych, a social psychologist at the University of California, and he studies how people are motivated and how motivation and emotion and intuition influence them, and especially their judgments. He says this, people are capable of being thoughtful and rational, but our wishes, hopes and fears and motivations often tip the scales to make us more likely to accept something as true if it supports what we want to believe. What's he saying? He, he says, we actually believe the things that we do because we want them or because we've got certain hopes and dreams and ideas that we want to be true, therefore I'm going to believe certain things. Um, my mother-in-law is a brilliant woman. I really love my mother-in-law on, on so many levels. When she was younger, about before Kate came along, she was at a beach mission and she was talking one night to a, um, the president of the Sydney Uni Atheist Club, a hardcore atheist. Anyway, the spirit moved and he became a Christian. And the next day, uh, another good friend of mine, Ian Powell, who was leading the beach mission, went up to him and said, hey, I'm sure you've got all these questions about atheism and Christianity. I'm sure you've got all these questions. And he said, no, that was just all a smokescreen. I just didn't want to believe. In the end, we, a lot of the time, we choose our beliefs based on what we want. Now, do I believe that there's good arguments for many worldviews? Absolutely. But if you're here, can I just say, you have probably chosen your worldview because it makes you feel good. You want the world to exist in the way that you believe it to exist. If you are an atheist, you want that on one level. If you are an agnostic, you probably want that on, on some level. If you are a Christian... You want that? And can I just say, that's true of me. Do I want there to be Jesus who rose physically from the dead? Absolutely. And so, yes, I am biased. But when it comes to the Bible, we're all biased. No one comes to the Bible in, on an even playing field. See, that's the problem with the proposition, but there's problems with Jesus too. Now, have a look at Matthew 22 that got read before. This is the greatest commandment. Jesus is asked to boil down Christianity or, or his, his um, you know, belief in God or how we're meant to live into the greatest commandment. Here's what Jesus says. Verse 37 of chapter 22, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. I won't read the words because that's where we're going to camp out. Do you, do you see what Jesus says? With all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind, how are you meant to love God? You're meant to love God with everything, with every single fiber in your being. If you follow Jesus, that's how we're meant to live, right? And if you're figuring out where you're at with Jesus, you've got to know that that's what, what we're trying to do here, love God with everything. But did you notice how he uses the word mind? He doesn't say, hey, just be really emotional and then love me like that. No, no, no. He is saying that to truly follow me, to truly believe in me, to truly be one of my disciples, you have to have your brain switched on. You, you don't just love me with emotions. You love me with intellect. 
You, you, you believe, and belief for you, if you follow me, shouldn't be an irrational thing. You, you read the Bible with your brain switched on. You come to church with your brain switched on. I would go as far as to say this. If, you, if there is a Christian and, I, and I've met them and they say, well, I just believe, I don't really think about Christianity. You think about it far too much, hands that I've been told that I do. I would say, hey, brother or sister in Christ, I don't think you are actually following Jesus if you switch your brain off. In fact, I would say you are missing out on the riches of Christianity because you've done that. See, if you are a skeptic hero, you've got questions, all this kind of thing, here's what we don't want you to do when you come to church. We don't want you to switch your brain off. No, we want you, your mind to be fully engaged. We want you to ask as many questions as you want. In fact, after this, after this sermon, there will be a time for you to ask questions if you have them. And if you're online, you can put them in the chat either on YouTube or Zoom, and we would love to answer your questions. Because we believe in a God who is big enough and strong enough and true enough and rational enough to be able to answer any of your questions. We believe that here. And so please, there's no question that's dumb. There's no question that's off limit. There's no doubt that, we, that you can't explore as long as you're looking for truth. See, the problem with Jesus here is saying, hey, guess what? To follow me, you've got to be rational. But here's the other thing. Let, let's have a look at the other passage uh, where, where Thomas, doubting Thomas. If you heard uh, of someone rising from the dead, would you believe it instantly? I hope not. In fact, some of you guys here, I dare say, just think the whole idea of the resurrection of Jesus is just really silly. Guess what? You've got a friend in Thomas because he did too. Actually, you've got a friend in all the disciples, because when the women said that, hey, Jesus is risen, risen from the dead, the women were the first ones to see, uh, you know, Jesus risen from the dead or see the empty tomb. Guess what? They didn't believe him. They didn't believe the women, because they weren't gullible either. They're not gullible, you're not gullible. But, but, but notice what Jesus says, as Thomas says, well, I've got to touch him. Verse 25, he says, But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Did you see what Jesus says to doubting Thomas? Thomas has got all these doubts. And Jesus slaps him over the head and goes, hey, just believe. No, he doesn't. He doesn't even say, he doesn't rebuke Thomas for his doubts. He says, touch, have a look, see me and believe. He is saying, Thomas, come with your doubts, but come to truth. Come to truth and figure out that actually see all this evidence before you. And therefore, you not only want something to be true, but you believe it now in your head to be true. See, the problem with Jesus is this. He says to us, I think he says to us in this passage, if you've got doubts, that's okay. But come and explore them. 
Come with an open mind. Don't don't just pile one doubt on, on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. No, he is saying, come and explore truth. I can still remember many, many, uh, many years ago. Um, I was 19, and I grew up in Moree, and I took the train down to Sydney. I was going to a concert, Steve Vai. I'm not sure if you have, you can YouTube. He's a great guitarist, and um, I'd seen the concert. And the next day, I was going back home on the train. It's a 10-hour train ride, right? And this is before YouTube or anything. This is, you know. The Stone Age and stuff like that. Anyway, and I went to Dimmick's and I thought I'll get a book to read, right? And so I went to the religion section. I picked up a book by John Shelby Spong. It was called Why Christianity Must Change or Die. And I was like, man, I think what he's going to say is we need to get back to the gospel or we need to forget about hymns and, you know, we should have electric guitar in church. And that's what I thought he'd say because I thought he'd just think like me. He didn't say that. He said, actually, you can't believe anything in the Bible. He, he said that there's no historian, uh, a competent historian, who believes that Jesus actually was who the Bible says he is, that he rose physically from the dead. Now, can I just say that's not true at all, but this is what this uh, Episcopal bishop was saying. And I can remember reading that, and it really jolted my faith, and it gave me all these doubts. And then I, then I went to the local Christian bookstore, Maury Christian Bookstore, which is now gone. But they had, they, you know, um, in some stores they have a book bin with all books that they can't sell. And there was a book from 1976, uh, I think it was 1976, called I Believe in the Historical Jesus by I.H. Marshall. And uh, it was worth 50 cents and I thought that's a good deal. So I paid the 50 cents and I started reading it. And he had great arguments from history. And here was a guy, one of the greatest New Testament scholars of the time, who is a Bible-believing Christian. And so I wrote, wrote to him. I told him of my doubts. And here's what he didn't say. He didn't write back and say, Hans, you've just got to believe. Forget about your doubts. No, he didn't. He sent me two books. He sent me a book by someone, a guy named N.T. Wright, who believes in the historicity of the Gospels. And then he sent me a book at the same time by a skeptic. And he wrote, some, uh, wrote me a letter and saying, oh, you need to think through this and is this true? R- read them both and write back. And I did and then, with my questions. And then he didn't tell me answers for questions. He said, okay, you need to read this and that. And he sent me two things. And, and that happened about six, six times. And in the end, I realized that actually... There's so many good historical arguments for you and me to believe that the Jesus, the historical Jesus, the real Jesus that walked 2,000 years ago is the Jesus of the Bible. There's great historical arguments for believing that he rose physically from the dead. See, I.H. Marshall did a beautiful thing for me, but he's just following the footsteps of Jesus Jesus says, you come to me rationally looking at the truth, looking at the evidence. And so here's the thing. Jesus then, and this is our last point, puts a problem before us all. And here it is. Here's the problem. Whether you're a Christian or you're figuring out or you're a skeptic, here's the question or the problem that Jesus puts before all of us. Here it is. What are you going to do with the rational Jesus? What are you going to do 
with the Jesus who says, come to me with your brain switched on? What are you going to do with the Jesus who says, come and explore the evidence? What are you going to do? Now, now I, think, I think there's a few things that you can do. I think the first option that you've got is to come and just reject him. I just go, no thanks, Jesus. Great, I've heard all this, but no. Nah. Can I just say, if, that, if that's what you're going to decide, you're probably being extremely irrational. You're, be, you're probably being ex- extremely irrational. And you're probably making a decision based on your emotions and not from your rational capabilities. And so can I advise you not to go down that road? Can I advise you to do the second thing? And that is explore him. You, you know, come back to church over the next few weeks. In fact, uh, after this series is done, we're actually going to explore Jesus' miracles. All of them, not all of them, but a lot of the miracles in the four Gospels. And, and maybe you want to have a chat with me about, you know, can I really believe this? There's certain books that I can give you and we can chat about it. But explore him. But here's the thing. Some of you guys go, well, what if I explore him and I find that he's not true? Well, that's a good thing because you've found the truth. you found the truth that he is not real. But can I just say, as confidently, but also I'm trying to be humble as I say this, I think if you have an open mind when it comes to Jesus, you won't explore him and find that he's not true. You will explore him and find that he's not only true, but absolutely beautiful. And you will find that, that what a lot of people here have found, that he's not just intellectually credible, but he's also so satisfying to your soul. So what are you going to do with the rational Jesus. What are you going to do? Are you going to reject him or explore him? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are the God who designed us, made us with minds, that you want us to come to you with our brains switched on, with these questions, with these doubts, with concerns. And And I love the fact that you are the God who is big enough and loves us enough to be able to accept those, to engage with us. Lord, I pray for those of us here and online also who have got big doubts, big questions. Lord, I thank you that they have found a church where every question is on the table, where every doubt can be explored as we seek truth together. Lord, Lord, I pray that we would all find the truth about Jesus and that he not only would satisfy our intellect, but also satisfy our souls also. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to get Bobby up because he's going to field questions. And I will... You want to stand over there? Right. Good morning, everyone. So if you have any questions, uh, whether you're online or um, just here, um, please... um, Raise your hand, or if you're online, please pop them into the chat, chat, and we can um, put them to hands. Yes, Kate? So you said that everyone comes with their own kind of biases and what they yep. want to believe. Have you got any tips on how you try and put those aside to investigate something 
So, so just uh, for those online, so the qu uh, question was, um, um, uh, do you have any tips for how we can put aside the biases that we come, come with? Yeah, I think the first thing that we've got to acknowledge is acknowledge the fact that we've got biases, right? You've got to, and wherever we're at, we're, um, when it comes to the Bible, we've got biases. And the reason why, um, even if we explore the Bible as an ancient historical document, not as a, a God-inspired document, will have biases, it's because the Bible is still in play in so many different arenas. And so we will always um, have an emotional reaction to the Bible because there's going to be some people that say, hey, we need to um, do everything that the Bible says in morality or ethics or whatever. And so it's always in play. And there's, so there's always going to be that feeling of either I accept it or, or I reject it. So I think one of the things that we've got to do is we've got to acknowledge our biases and We've got to ask, and when we read someone who may disagree with our biases or may be pushing against them, what we've got to do is we've got to actually feel the weight of their arguments. So we read it, we understand, or we hear it, or whatever, and we, we, uh, we feel the weight of them. That is, we are able to put their... Um, their reactions against Christianity or their critique of Christianity or their critique of secularism, if it's the other way around, in such a way that if I repeated it to them, they will go, yeah, that's exactly what I believe. And so you feel, you're able to restate it for yourself. And then I think what you've got to do, what I try to do when someone, I read something that really pushes against some aspect of my faith, I actually don't try to come up with an argument against it straight away. I sit with it for a few days or a week or something. And I, and I think, okay, what, what are the implications of this? And once I've really explored what I think the implications are, that's when I go, okay, well, where, what, how would I push back? And then when I'm pushing back, I'm trying to push it back against their arguments, not the people. I don't go, oh, well, they believe that because of X, Y, Z, they're that kind of person. I go, well, well, maybe there is, maybe there wasn't Cypriot bichrome pottery in the late Bronze Age of Jericho for these reasons, for example. That's one thing I studied. Um, so I hope that helps. So there's, there's a process that I go through there. Okay, yeah. great, great. And we've got another question uh, online so, great, uh, cool. from uh, Kelvin. Um, must you go through all the historical evidence to do with God in order to believe, or can you believe just because you do? So I remember listening to a, to a talk um, from a guy named Pete Enns. Um, Anthony probably has met Pete Enns. He's a, he's, a, he's a great Old Testament scholar. Um, but he went from believing as an evangelical to kind of not believing. I'm not sure what he classifies himself. And he gave this talk where he sa he's saying uh, to a bunch of uni students, hey, there's all these problems with the Old Testament. There's all these questions. There's all these doubts. You need, uh, you know, don't believe what your pastor said. You need to explore these doubts. And I, and I was like, why? What, why, do, why do they need to explore their doubts? Why do they need? Why do do those uni students need to explore the doubts of Pete Enns? Why do they need to go down those roads, right? And 
And it's interesting what he's saying. He is saying, don't believe the pastor, don't follow what your pastor is saying, but follow me, which I just think is pretty arrogant. So, see, what, what, the point I'm trying to make is this. If you've got no doubts about the historical reliability of the Bible, you don't need to explore it. Maybe you will have other doubts, and they're, they're, that's fine. For me, that was one of my, my significant doubts, and that's what I enjoy reading and ancient history and that kind of thing. But they, they may not be your doubts. They may not be your problems with the faith, and that's 100% okay. So don't let anyone, whether, uh, I, I hope that no one feels that I kind of imply that you need to know that, hey, the Bible is historically reliable because of all these arguments. I hope you can just go away and go, well, I believe the Bible. Uh, a number of years ago, I preached through the book of Kings, 1 Kings, and if you were here, I did a little bit in each section where I said, can you trust the Bible? I went into the history. It was interesting, one of the more senior members of our church fell asleep in one of those bits, and um, I went up to her afterwards, and, and I said, oh, so you don't really like that bit? She goes, Hans, I already believe the Bible, so I just ignore that bit. And I was like, that's totally appropriate and true, because guess what? She believes the Bible, so... Uh, she doesn't have to take on my questions. That's okay. So I guess no. Okay, great. And we have another one online as well from Haran. Um, so we have evidence for dinosaurs, but dinosaurs aren't in the Bible. So did God make dinosaurs or did dinosaurs not exist? Well, dinosaurs... Okay, so first of all, Haran... Um, <laughs> He's got more theological degrees than me, and he likes to just put me on, on, on the spot. Uh, look, dinosaurs exist, right? Absolutely, dinosaurs exist. Uh, you know, the fossil record and everything, right? Um, when someone says something's not in the Bible, therefore, like, that, that, you know, the Bible should have said something about it, I go, why? Why does the Bible need to, to, to talk about everything that you want it to talk about? And there's, there's a bunch of things in history that critics will go, hey, the Bible doesn't talk about this, therefore the Bible is not, not historically reliable. Like, well, why does it need to talk about that if it doesn't want to, if the writers didn't want to? If, if, the, if the dinosaurs were not around, you, you know, when uh, the, our first you know, Adam and Eve were around, um, I expect the Bible not to speak about it, Right? But I would say that the Bible is true and I would say if you go back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, it's not trying to say everything about the, everything from the Big Bang right to when Adam and Eve walked the earth. It's trying to actually say something totally different. It's actually trying to say that there is a king and creator that is God who created everything with purpose and you need to bow down and worship him. So if you believe that about Genesis 1 and 2, you can say, well, yeah, the, uh, I really like Jurassic Park and all this kind of stuff, and I like, like dinosaurs, and I like the Bible too. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. yeah. Okay, great, thank you. Are there any other questions um, from anyone in the room? Yeah, uh, Andrew? Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. so I think, oh, sorry, do you want to repeat? Yeah, so, so for just uh, for the benefit of those online, so uh, the question was, uh, so we, we might have friends who believe in the principles of the Bible and the morals of the Bible, but, um, but don't believe in Jesus. So how do we handle that? Yeah. I think the first thing, you've got to pray, obviously. I mean, I think that's the spiritual thing. I think you live your life um, as best as, as a Christian among them. I think there's that. But I also want to point out that if someone says to me, Jesus was a great teacher, right? Um, and if um, and he was a great teacher and no more, I go, well, if you read, if, if Jesus is just a great teacher, he said some pretty terrible things. He said he was God and if you trust in him, you'll go to a place where there's no more suffering. If he can't back that up, that's actually not a good thing. Right? So uh, he, he's actually lying to people. Right? If, if he's not really who he says he is, I actually don't think he's a good teacher. So I want to push back against that. But the other thing is, if Jesus is a good teacher and you're meant to follow his teachings, his teachings will destroy you. He says to love your neighbor as yourself and forgive your enemies. Can you do that perfectly? Well, that's going to be very hard because you're going to be trying to do that all the time and you'll always fail. But if Jesus is God in the flesh who says, guess what, I will forgive you when you fail me, then he's, he's actually far better than a great teacher. He's someone who forgives us in our failings and we don't need more teaching. We need heart change. We need forgiveness. We need eternity. And so I, I will push back against that. And I think if he says he doesn't like Jesus, I go, what, what don't you like about Jesus? Because most people go, I don't like the ethics of the Bible, but I love Jesus. So maybe that's another conversation. But I'd love to meet your friend. Have, have I, did he come one time to introduce Jesus? Yeah, 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 I remember him. He was a lot of fun. So uh, was there another question? Yeah. No. Any more questions? No, okay. Cool. Okay. Thank you.